From giant billboards to basic subway ads, advertisers use every trick in the book to get our attention. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape. We come to you commercial-free on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, all things advertising. Hope we don't have to sell you to stick around. But in case we do, here's what we have coming up this half hour. We'll take a ride on a street blimp, fly with an aerial advertising pilot, talk to promoters in Times Square, and deconstruct subway ads. But first this morning, New York City is a marketer's paradise. Just take a look at Times Square. Cityscape regulars might remember the time I met with Vanessa Gruen of the Municipal Art Society. We walked around Manhattan in search of illegal advertising. Billboards too big for their britches and things like that. Let's just say they weren't hard to find. Vanessa is on the line with us this morning. Vanessa, great talking with you again. Well, it's nice speaking to you again. Not too long ago, we took a walk around to New York City, and you pointed out to me plenty of illegal advertising. That's right. What makes advertising illegal in the city? Advertising is um, all has to comply with the city zoning regulations. There's a section on signage in the zoning regulations, and everything has to adhere to that. One thing that we see quite often in New York City is advertising on scaffolding and these construction sheds. That's right. The city refers to them as sidewalk sheds, okay? And um, this used to be an enormous problem. The problem has disappeared almost like by magic. If you notice now on the construction sheds, you will almost never, never see an advertisement. You sometimes see just the mention of the business that is underneath the the sidewalk shed, And sometimes you see advertising for future condominiums that are coming on that site. But that is the only kind of advertising on the sidewalk sheds that is still around. We should point out, Vanessa, that the only legal advertising on these sidewalk sheds is advertising that pertains to businesses inside while the construction is going on. That's right. And that's it. And it has to be a certain size, too. There are size regulations as to what size that uh, advertising can be or the signage can be. So it's very limited. So why do you think this sudden change in New York City? They finally wrote the rules for the zoning changes that they had enacted in 2001. So now they've finally written, the buildings department has written the rules. And I think the city is starting to crack down on it, but unfortunately they have been uh, sued by a large outdoor advertising company. And this uh, litigation is still pending. And before this litigation is resolved, I think we are not going to see the major crackdown that the city would like to do. And what's the basis of that lawsuit? Uh, I think these companies are alleging uh, unfair competition from the city because the city itself is doing a lot of advertising. And the city claims the reason that they want to get rid of this advertising along the arterial highways is because it's a traffic hazard and cars could be prone to looking at the advertising and there could be uh, an accident. But the litigation states that the city itself is putting up a lot of new advertising on bus shelters and on newsstands, and the city is therefore 
guilty of the same things. Vanessa, let me ask you this. What do you think of that, the fact that the city advertises on bus shelters and all of these other places? Do you think that is an eyesore in New York? No. I have no problem with that. That's within the city regulations. That's what the city allows. That's fine. What I have a problem with is advertising that is illegal, that has not been approved. Some of that advertising is on buildings, and this advertising is simply too large and often covering up windows, right? That's right. right. That's right. And, And it's totally illegal. It's not it doesn't adhere to the zoning code on signage. Uh, they're much too large, and uh, these are the signs that we keep pushing the city to crack down on. And I think they will, but there is this pending litigation, and I think that they've gotten sort of cold feet until the litigation is resolved. What is it about the advertising that you find so egregious, Vanessa? Well, I think... I think it belongs in certain places. I think it's fine in Times Square. That's where uh, you're allowed to have as much advertising as you as you want. And I think it works in Times Square. I think it, Times Square is a huge tourist attraction. Tourists come from all over the world. They expect to see brightly lit signs. And I, that's fine. But I just don't think it should creep out of uh, Times Square in, you know, in the fashion that it has in the past now. How big of a problem is what I like to call hit-and-run advertising, these posters that we see plastered all over the place for a certain CD or a new movie? That's a problem that has increased, this has increased in popularity because these hit-and-run people, they they plaster um, these posters and then they're gone. And somehow before anybody can sort of start to object to them, they're already taken down or they've been covered up. So it's a problem, and I think it doesn't look very good when you have it. But generally this is done on sort of construction walls, But I've seen it also on um, sides of buildings which have that kind of advertising. And I think it's a problem. I think the city has to deal with it, but they don't have, they have nothing in place right now where they're enforcing that. Let me ask you this, Vanessa. What is the most egregious ad that you have seen in New York City in recent memory? Well, I thought the worst was the uh, Chivas Regal ad that was covering the entire uh, front of a building that was directly across the street from the New York City Public Library, and you had the two lions sitting there watching the Chivas Regal ad, which was just enormous. And I thought that that, that just was sort of outrageous that we would have that in New York. I mean, the public library is a treasure and a cherished institution here, and that directly across the street, and this was just during Christmas time, to have the two lines, patience and fortitude, sitting there looking at this enormous bottle of Shiva's Regas. I, I, I really thought that was a little outrageous. That sign did come down. It was totally illegal, and they did remove it. What I find enormously interesting, Vanessa, is the fact that the Municipal Art Society has been fighting billboard blight since, what, 1904? Since 1904, that's right. I mean, this has been something that that we have been involved with, you know, since the founding of the society.
It's so interesting to go back in history and see that it was a problem, you yeah. know, 100 years ago. Well, that's right. And as a matter of fact, 100 years ago, they started advertising in Central Park. And the Municipal Arts Society cracked down on that. And that disappeared rather quickly. But there actually were commercial uh, billboards in Central Park. And I don't think that anybody would find that very acceptable today. Vanessa Gruen with the Municipal Arts Society. Thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. A flashy billboard is one way for an advertiser to catch our attention. But some think the human touch is the best way to close the deal. We asked some promoters in Times Square to share their tricks of the trade. This job is basically all mental. So if you're not having a good day, then you're not going to sell much. My name is Michael Angel Cruz. I'm one of the promoters for the Comic Strip Live. Basically what we do is we come to Times Square and we try to get people to go to comedy clubs. Most of the time when you're talking to someone, it, you're not really talking to them. It's all body language. Actually, it's a daily struggle. My name is Martin Sierra. I'm just promoting comedy clubs. Basically, what you're trying to do is convince somebody to buy something that they have no clue that they want. And your goal is to convince them and make them want it. I'm actually a student and I'm actually uh, an athlete. I'm struggling right now, trying to get money just to put myself out there. So a lot of these jobs tend to cater for actors and uh, performers in a way because it's the flexibility of hours. Elizabeth Williams. I'm uh, handing out flyers to promote Disney on Broadway, which is Mary Poppins, The Lion King, and The Little Mermaid. I'm an actress, so it's just a flexible day job. And sometimes we have promotional like pins or buttons or magnets. <laughs> there are all kinds of things. Um, like people who have gotten a flyer from like a, a bus tour or something, instead of taking your flyer, they'll dump it on you. Or there are kids who like to do like little fake outs, like, I'm going to take one. No, I'm not. There are all kinds of funny people. Free shampoo. Would you like some free shampoo and conditioner? Courtesy of Tresemme. My name is Ayana Whitmore. We are handing out samples of Tresemme shampoo and conditioner for free. I do find it fun and I find it very easy and lucrative. You know, less work, you know what I mean? More money, that's the way to go always. Promoters in Times Square market their products on foot, but some advertisers like to drive their message home with a truck. I recently hit the road with the head of one of the nation's largest mobile billboard companies. My name is Doug Franton, and I'm the president of Street Blimps. All right, Doug, why don't you tell me about this vehicle that's standing right behind you? Well, this is a uh, traveling billboard. It's a mobile billboard truck. We call it a street blimp. Does the trailer here serve any purpose besides the advertisement that's on it? Well, it's really not a trailer. It's actually a completely one-piece designed unit, and we also have storage inside. So we can store things. We do uh, handouts. We do deliveries and things of that nature. So, yes, we do do uh, things sometimes. But primary reason for the vehicle is... Well, you can see what it looks like. It's obviously a really unique and interesting-looking thing. Aerodynamically designed, creates attention, and is for advertising. So we're going to get in right now and do a little advertising? Yes, we will. Let's do it. Want to uh, sit inside so you can see what he looks like? You can see the GPS and stuff like that? GPS, I'm sure that's very important uh, for the folks that are doing the advertising. They want to know exactly where where you're going? Yeah, well, typically what we did was, when we first started this... We, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was kind of uh, a little bit undesigned, 
And so what we decided to do was we started coming up with demographics by zip codes, uh, different types of uh, preferred proprietary type of mapping systems. And uh, we, we tied that into all of the advertising type of uh, tools that we had. And we were able to design routes predicated around the, the demographic they wanted to target. So it became more of a specific kind of thing. It wasn't just go out there and drive around. And uh, that's how we actually made it so targeted. But um, it's really great, and it, and it allows me now, instead of uh, being Magnum PI and trying to follow the vehicles around, and I've got plenty of stories I could tell you, but driving around trying to find them and uh, making sure that they're on task, uh, because, of course, we have clients at Fortune 1000 cl clients who really have to make sure that you're doing the thing, and, and that's really the kind of company we are. We're, we're really interested in our reputation. So I would follow them around. It was very difficult. When you have these many vehicles, of course, you can't. What are the advantages of this kind of advertising? Well, when you talk about reach and frequency, um, when you talk about a billboard bulletin, um, obviously it's hard to really suggest that anything's greater than a billboard. A billboard's wonderful. It really truly is. You drive down the highway near Fordham Road, right? You start seeing those billboards. You go near Yankee Stadium and you'll see mine. Very impactful, you know, 20 by 60 face. Um, it's stationary. It sits there. It's in your face. But they, the way that they sell the boards is really kind of like by DECs, which is daily effective circulation. And what happens is, is that you're going to get a, a certain amount of people are going to pass there. Well, you're going to get a great impact for maybe, I don't know, 10 to 15 days out of the month. Then all of a sudden, you're, you have great reach in the beginning, but then all of a sudden you have a lot of the same people seeing it. So, of course, your, you know, your effectiveness goes down because you have the same people seeing it. With this particular vehicle, we go out and we engage the people. So it's, that's the reason why it was originally looked at as, as alternative media, because you're really engaging. You're going out and finding where the people are, and you're getting them. So if you could actually design a route around 10 of the best billboards in New York City, just think of the impact that you would have over a billboard. It's also interesting how you refer to it as, right now, I guess, traditional advertising because it's also, I would think, very important to advertising, especially today. You could have all the multimedia that there is, but people can avoid ads if they want. TiVo, satellite radio, that kind of thing. Well, you know, that's what's happening with outdoor, which is very exciting. And uh, nothing, nothing by my premeditation. I mean, I just got involved in it and had no idea what I, was, what I was about to get involved in. But the outdoor world has really dramatically changed and it's become so much larger than it originally was. And TV really has, you're right, it's very fragmented. Cable has become fragmented. So the, the real target audience you want to get and the kind of dollars you want to spend, a lot of it's trickling down, obviously, into the Internet because the Internet's huge and cellular. But outdoor, yeah, I mean, you can't get away from it. So if you have a great type of media format that's in your face, that's where you want to spend your money if it's effective. So this vehicle right now has a car ad on it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I believe it's Toyota that's on there now. Toyota was uh, designed, this particular uh, truck was designed to target and support all of the Toyota dealerships that were around their area. And a lot of times what we do is, if there's something like a Toyota type of uh, thing that they want to support the dealers, we would take a 5 or 10 mile radius around that particular dealership and we would just completely saturate that area. And this way they get a lot of impact and then again circling around and bringing people to the dealership. And we do that uh, basically like 5 or 10 dealerships within a county. And that's how they, they design the route. So really very specific advertising involved here. If you wanted to market to a younger audience, you might drive this thing around the community college. You have Nassau Community College right in this area. That's exactly right. That's, that's how you get effectiveness. Correct.
What's it like to be behind the wheel of one of these vehicles? I'm sure it's an interesting job. Your job is just to drive around and show off what you're advertising. Well, you know, um, driving from, if you say, you know, you're going to do something in Virginia and you've never been to Virginia and you go on a trip and it sounds wonderful and exciting and you go to Virginia and you see all these cool places and wow, you drive around for a week and it's fun. You're staying in a hotel and of course we take care of all of that stuff and then they, they watch the people and that's exciting. The traveling part after a while gets a little bit old. And you'll, my drivers will tell you that. <laughs> well, let me turn the mic over here to Willie. Willie, what's it like doing this? Uh, like driving, going out of town. Like my boss just say, um, after a while, it get boring driving, going like different places. But when you get there, you drive around, you see different people, different faces, different things. It's excited. But if you're there like for a month or so, by seeing the same thing over and over, it get kind of boring. But otherwise, today is okay driving out of town. Um, you, you live in New York a while, you go out of town, there's a little change, so it's good to have a little change. So that's nice going out of town. Are you looking for people's reactions as you're driving along to make sure to see if they're looking at what you're advertising? Well, definitely you go out of town, most people didn't see the truck, and when they see the truck, it's very skinny, and so some people start laughing because they see a skinny truck. It's very uh, funny, people um, laughing at you driving the truck. Do you have any interesting stories, any funny stories that you'd want to tell us? An interesting story? Um, there's a lot of stories, but um, it'll take a while to say that. Um, like, for example, you might go out of town, people might come up to you, ask you, um, what kind of truck is that? You tell them, it's a moving billboard. Um, do you carry stuff inside if you advertising like any um, cookies or stuff? Do you have cookies inside? Could we have some? Stuff like that. Doug, you said there's some storage in the back. Can you put some supplies? The vehicle is 22 feet long. It's uh, four feet wide inside and 10 feet high. So you can put tons of storage, and, and so we do. Now, I know how fast the vehicle is moving, about 30 miles per hour, but how fast is the industry moving as far as advertising is concerned because we're seeing so much new technology all the time? Yeah, it's, it's, a, little bit, uh, it's a little bit unnerving to try to keep up. But it's exciting because there's Bluetooth that's coming into it, um, and uh, and there's a lot of you know the things that we have done with uh, the technology of projection media and things of that nature, and and the, even the printing with street graphics and and wraps and all kinds of interesting stuff that you can do, uh, and so it has grown and it is more exciting. I think that um, that they can't forget that the traditional formats are still can be exciting, and they should stick with them because of course everyone's always looking for that new thing you know and even radio I mean you know radio works it works for a lot of different things if you do it right you know and I think that uh, we have to stick with with the formula that works Doug Franton is the president of the Long Island based company Street Plimps this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org I'm George Boldarki Let's now move from advertising on the road to marketing in the sky. If you've ever spent time at Jones Beach, Southampton, or any of the beaches on Long Island, chances are you've laid eyes on the work of Amos Harari. Amos is the owner of Aerotag, one of the largest aerial advertising companies in the New York area. He spends his days in the sky, hauling advertising banners and the occasional personal message. We recently spent an afternoon with Amos, both on the ground and in the air.
Yeah, this is one. This is one I'll fly again. It's like a 20 feet high by maybe 70 or something. It's a sanitation company in Southampton. It's called uh, Norsic. This is the Wall Street Journal, which they market advertise their weekly edition. So you see, it's, it's uh, bulky, but it's very light. And this is the idea of uh, how to fly. You want lightest and minimum drag. A sign uh, which says the name of the, the, the girl and will you marry me. Uh, that was this weekend, so I made the sign. And then the weather was bad this weekend. So the guy wanted to do it uh, during the week. I said, no problem. And then he called me that, uh, and he said, well, she became suspicious. And I asked the question. She says, yes, and thank you very much, but I don't need your services. I used to guarantee to guarantee that she says yes and two and a half years of happy happy uh, marriage. I don't do it anymore because the insurance became so much expensive and everybody get divorced after, you know. Business want the beach to be full. They don't care what time. Personal message, they want to, to schedule it for a certain time so they don't wait. So I told them, I, I tell people, if you want the personal to schedule something, you can only do it after either weekday or after hours of the weekend, in the weekend. We can reach people that another medium can do, like on the beach. People, they go away from the TV, from the radio and, and, and papers, so we can reach them. Also, the, the concentration of people, like John's Beach or, or, or Giant Stadium. I flew uh, over Giant Stadium, that was the Live Earth concert. You circle around a few times and, and so many people see it. go down to, uh, let's say, uh, this altitude, about 500 feet. Now, you see, even on a, on a weekday, you see the beach is full. This is still uh, West Hampton Beach. So if somebody wants something to do with the product or something that does with people with money, they go from here to the east, like the Hamptons. If they want to hit the masses, they go to Robert Moses State Park, or you know Jones Beach, um, all the way there. Like I'm flying. Like for example, the Wall Street Journal. I I flew for them here mainly because to coincide with their marketing. But they didn't do the promotion in Coney Island. They don't need to. In Coney Island, people don't read the, the they they read something else. They don't read the Wall Street Journal. So they want something that's of interest to the people in, in the Hamptons. But you know. People here, they don't need it. If they need something, they take the jet and they buy something. Amos Harari, Aerial Advertiser. You can find out more about his company at aerotag.com. Planes carry ads, trucks carry ads, and of course, so do subways. Advertisers give us plenty to look at while we're trying to avoid eye contact with the guy across from us. New York City writer Ken Monshine is critical of underground advertisements. He rants about them in this essay. 
The New York City subways are an interminable daily test of patience for most Gothamites, as we endure being packed like cattle into an unventilated underground sardine can, while the conductor calls out helpful hints like, "Lady, please remove your infant from between the slamming doors." It's because of this very overcrowding, aggravation, and stress that the New York City subway system is probably one of the best places on earth to advertise. No one makes eye contact in the subway or talks to anyone else. Even trying to read on a lurching train is impossible without a healthy dose of dramamine. The only place to look is up. In fact, one of my favorite rush hour hobbies has become writing mental mini critiques of abysmal subterranean advertising. The undisputed king of underground mental real estate is, of course, everyone's favorite dermatologist, Jonathan Zismore, M.D. Anyone who's ever swiped a metro card has had their nightmares haunted by the squinty eyes, the doughy face, the odd penchant for capitalizing every single noun. Do you need Doctor Zismore to take a laser to your face? Here's a simple test: look in a mirror and pull your face back until you look like Joan Rivers. If your skin looks tauter, well then you need a trip to Doctor Zismore's personal Death Star. In fact. Looking around at your fellow passengers, you'll soon see the rationale to never go to a doctor who advertises on the subway. Do you see that 800-pound guy on the seat across from you? The one slurping down four Big Macs? The one in the sweat-stained T-shirt with a really bad bo? Well, guess what? Just before that podiatrist shook your hand, he touched that guy's feet. In such a high-stress environment, it's no wonder liquor ads get such a big slice of the mindshare. Heck, just thinking about work makes me want to drink. Unfortunately, since liquor companies can't address why we really drink, Jack Daniels for when your boss says it absolutely has to be done yesterday, they usually wind up on the wrong end of subtle. The Jamesons Irish whiskey ad says, for instance, it could be because Nostradamus drank it, or predicted he'd drink it, or it could just be the taste. Actually, Nostradamus was French, not Irish, which probably meant he drank Orangina. Budweiser is another big player in this market. Always worth it, their ads declare. No, actually, it's not. Not at what they charge for beer in this city. But is neither the cachet so sought by those New Yorkers who have the money to buy better beer, nor the irony quotient sought by the rest of us. In fact, the only person I know who drinks Budweiser is my Lower East Side artist friend, Reverend Jen Miller, who I think does it as a performance piece. But subway ads aren't just for people shilling product; they're also the interminable public service ads. Most of these are common sense: do not run in the station, do not give money to beggars, do not attempt to retrieve an iPod that has fallen onto the tracks. There's also the poetry in motion feature, which has, for ten years, given New Yorkers their daily dose of copyright-free poetry from the members of the Dead Poets Society. Of course, it's done in partnership with Barnes and Noble in the hopes that, having changed our taste from Lincoln Park to Robert Frost, we'll actually go buy books of poetry. But then, no scheme to enlighten the public can be without an ulterior motive, can it? I'm not critical of all subway ads, though. For instance. I rather like the School of Visual Arts "How Bad Do You Want to Be Good" campaign. 
This is because one of the ads features a suit of armor made by my friend Jeff Wasson, who I know from my medieval reenactment hobby. You see, when I'm not riding the subways, I'm riding a horse as a member of an amateur jousting troupe. No, really, I do that in my spare time. I took Jeff's metalworking class this past spring and summer, learned to cut, shape, and weld steel, and then used my skills to make my very own suit of armor. It was a great experience. The only thing is that art schools are filled with, well, they're filled with art students. A more truthful SVA ad campaign would ask, How badly do you want to listen to 18-year-olds congratulate each other on being the next Andy Warhol? Or, how badly do you want to have fragments of metal shot into your eye by a trust fund kid with an angle grinder? The truth is, being a college teacher myself, I have to say that I have a soft spot for the education ads. Most advertising is aspirational in one way or another, but ads for the Zoni Language Center, Aprenda Inglés, Borough of Manhattan Community College, Start Here, Go Anywhere! or Hell's Kitchen School of Applied Studies, hey, we're almost accredited! Make this explicit. They're not targeted towards the hip or the trendy or the beautiful. More than the idiotic pitches targeted towards those with more money than taste, the education ads speak to the heart of what the city is really about. What they're selling is status, upward mobility, the American dream. You can do it, they say. Take your life in your own hands. Become more than what you are. Reinvent yourself. After all, in New York, we're all trying to get somewhere. Ken Monshine is a New York City writer. He's also a Ph.D. student in medieval history at Fordham University, soon to be leaving for Paris on a Fulbright grant. Do they have ads in Parisian subways? Anyway, that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Rashida Winfield and to Jody Abergan. Can we interest you in past editions of Cityscape? Or how about the podcast? If we've sold you, go to WFUV.org free of charge. Thanks for listening. 